Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Revive School. It is Lesson 74, and we are going to be digging into 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10 today. So, hey, my name's Ryan Schrag. Good to be back with you. Today, as Kyle would say, it's a humdinger. And uh, this is, there's a lot happening uh, in these lessons today. I'm excited to jump into it. But what I want to do first, I want to paint a little bit of background because it's kind of fun to for me, when I was thinking about uh, teaching through Second Kings, if you're like me, you're like, okay, what king was over what tribe? And wait a minute, there's two different names, two different kings by the same name and all that. So it helped when I actually saw a timeline. So for those of you that are like really detail-minded people, you're going to love this. You other like big picture people are just going to really tune out for the next like three minutes. But for you detailed people, I just want to show you something here. Second Kings... You guys, it covers a span of about 300 years, starting with King Ahaziah over Israel, all the way through Israel's fall to the Assyrians, and it actually goes all the way through Judah, and they're um, exiled into Babylon. So understand this very quickly, is this. There were two King Ahaziahs, as there were two King Jehorams, one in each kingdom. And so what we're looking at is this span right in here, where Ahaziah, Joram, Jehu over here in Israel. And you notice right in this time, Elisha and Elijah were the prophets in that time. And so there were also two uh, Jehorams, as I said. Um, Both Ahaziahs reigned only one year each, but their administrations never overlapped. Um, Just kind of some fun facts. Ahaziah of Israel reigned 11 years earlier than Ahaziah of Judah. And in Judah, Jehoram preceded Ahaziah, but in Israel, Ahaziah preceded Jehoram. So, super confusing, but anyway, we're going to dig in here, starting with verse 1, chapter 9. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take the flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. Now, when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates. Take him to an inner room, then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and, like, get out of there. Open the door, flee. Do not delay. Verse 4 says this, So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. I love this. I mean, this is kind of a side note, but just think of what this servant was doing right now. He was going to go anoint a king who was the commander of the current king. And so he knew it was a dangerous mission. He knew he was going to come in front of these commanders, and he knew he needed to do what he did quickly and then get out of there before they questioned him or possibly killed him. But I don't know. What kind of passion does it take to do something like that? This was kind of probably an understudy of Elisha that said, I just need to do the work of the Lord. So I love that. He had, a, he had an urgency upon him to do the work of the Lord. It's like, whatever it costs me, my life is going to be used to advance what the word of the Lord said. So what we're going to see played out here, even with Eli, uh, Jehu being anointed king, this is a fulfillment of prophecy that Elijah actually said about 20 years earlier. 
And the cool thing of it is we see so much prophecy being fulfilled in these two chapters. But it also points ahead, you know, there's a lot of prophecy. There's a lot of things that are going to happen at the end of time that, that God's word will be fulfilled. It's going to happen. And, it, and it's happening right here. Ahab, Jezebel, his lineage, it was almost like you can only store up evil so much. And so I can just see this like pile after pile of evil being stored up. Jehu's coming on the scene now, and he's going to avenge all of that, just as God said would happen to them. And so we're going we're gonna to touch on that. Um, where are we? Verse 5. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I've got a message for you, commander. And Jehu's like, for which one of us? He said, for you, commander. Then he arose and he went into the house. He poured the oil on his head and he said to him, he said this, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Then it wraps up, For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off Ahab, all the males in Israel, both bond and free. And I, so I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. So actually go, let me just finish this section right here. One more verse. The dog shall eat Jezebel in the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. That's a lot of verses, but I'm saying just, this is almost like these chapters are like you're kind of watching a movie. Like we're just sitting down uh, get some popcorn and just watching this whole thing play out. So Elisha sends the servant. And by the way, as Wearsby said, as far as biblical records are concerned, Jehu is probably the only king. No, he was the only king of Israel who was anointed by an appointed servant of, of the Lord or of the, of the priest or of the, of the prophet. So, so this guy goes and he anoints Jehu. Then what's Jehu do? He comes, all these other guys, like his friends, they're just sitting around talking. He comes back in the house and they're all wondering what's going on. Like this, what this madman, what's he have to say? What, what's going on here? So it goes on to say um, in the next verse, we're in verse 11 or 10. Where we, I'm sorry, verse 11. Thank you, Kevin. So then Jehu came out to the servants of his master. And one of them said to him, he goes, is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he goes, eh, you know, you know, the man in his babble. Like he did not want to say what this guy just said to him. He was very cautious with it, almost trying to blow it off. Like, man, I hope they don't press into me with this. But then they said, a lie, tell us now. So he said, well, blah, 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 thus and thus he spoke to me saying, you know, thus says the Lord. And by the way, I've anointed you king over Israel. (laughs) Kind of like, I I see that playing out like that. Like he just doesn't want to come in and, yep, I'm the king. He kind of wanted to play it off. And when he said, I've anointed you king over Israel, next verse 13, then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under. It's almost like when he said that, I could see them be like, wait, what'd you just say? Like he, you're, he just anointed you king over Israel. And so they immediately just, they, they hastened to take his garment, put it under him like they do for kings. And then they, uh, they blew the trumpets. They all of a sudden now Jehu is king. So this is the start of it all. And all of a sudden then Jehu's like, he just goes for it, and he wastes no time. All right, so here we go. We're going to go to verse, um, verse two. You know what? I actually want to show you this, this, um, this prophecy, that this was actually a prophecy. Can you go to 1 Kings uh, 19.15, please, Kevin? 
I want to show you where, where God spoke this, that Jehu was going to uh, become king, and he spoke it to Elijah. He said, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness. You guys remember this from, from 1 Kings. The wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel uh, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So, he spoke it, it came true. Um, it's going to happen. So, here we go. Let's go on to uh, verse 14, 14 to 16 here. So, here we go. Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now, remember, he was one of the commanders in Joram's army, right? And now he has just been anointed king. So now Jehoram had been defending, just as Larry was talking about yesterday, he had been defending Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel against Hazael, king of Syria. Let's go on, uh, 15. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city and go tell it to Jezreel. One more verse. So Jehu rode in a chariot, went with went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see him. So I want to point to a map here. If we could go to that map, Kevin, I want to show you exactly just kind of a, where these are. So the king was in Ramoth-Gilead defending against Hazael, king of Syria, right? So he got wounded. He goes back to Jezreel, which is roughly, how far is it, Kevin? 25, 30 miles. Okay. So he's about 25, 30 miles ride and, um, you know, Jehu's probably on a chariot, the horse or something, probably a horse, goes to Jezreel. That's where Joram is. He's recovering from his wounds. Joram was the king of Israel, right? And also he is the son of Ahab. And he got wounded in the fight, went back to Jezreel. Now the king of Judah was Ahaziah. And um, he went to visit his buddy Joram because he was wounded in the fight. So they're both in Jezreel right now. They're hanging out, okay? So... Again, just to confuse you a little bit more, right? Uh, so Ahaziah is, his mom was Athaliah, who was the daughter of Ahab. So there's this family line that is running through that is just about ready to get wiped out. This plays out as significant because now Jehu is on assignment. Like he is going after these kings, the king of Israel and the king of Joram. They both happen to be currently in Jezreel. So he rides there. And, um, all right, he's riding up to Jezreel, and now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and he said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him to meet them. And they just said, hey, are you coming in peace? So this happens um, that um, they actually go with Jehu. So the kings send another delegation out to meet Jehu. They don't come back. All right, so now all of a sudden, these kings are wondering what's going on. And that's where we pick it up here in uh, verse 21. If we can skip ahead to 21, Kevin. Joram said this, make ready. So understand, he just sent two parts of his delegation to see who this, this person is. The second time, they figure out that it's Jehu. So these two kings, Joram and Ahaziah, they go out to meet Jehu. They said, make ready, and his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went to meet Jehu. 
probably not the best decision uh, they've ever made. And so they met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now what happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, hey, hey, Jehu, are you coming peacefully? Is it peace? So he answered and he goes, what peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. So now all of a sudden, because he said that, Joram knew that there was, uh oh, this isn't good, and I need to get out of here. So in my notes here, it says, Jezebel's spiritual adultery had brought heinous demonic practices into the kingdom and sealed its doom. As a matter of fact, Kevin, can you go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 15? God said, if, if the people of Israel practiced such, such things as this, such evil, here's what would happen. Deuteronomy 28, 15 says, But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes, with which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. 25, Kevin, verse 25 and 26, please. It says, The Lord shall cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them, and you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 26, Your carcasses will be food to all the birds of the sky and to the, and to the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. So, you know, that's like, it, it seems harsh, but actually God was almost preparing for this principle of, of sowing and reaping. And it's a principle that we even see in our day. What we sow, if we sow things in righteousness, like, like you all know when you plant things, you plant a seed, well, what grows up? What the seed that was planted, what was within that seed. If I, if I plant things in righteousness, what's going to grow up? I will sow into righteousness. But if there's things that are sown in deception, and we see this even in Jehu's life. What's gonna, what am I going to reap? I'm going to reap things of the flesh and deception and things that are counter to the things of God. So there's always a principle of sowing and reaping happening even today. So let's go on. Verse 23. The story continues. Then Joram, he knew he was in trouble. And he was probably, you know, some of the commentaries say because he was recovering from his wounds, he might not have been in his full armor. So Joram turned around and he fled and he said, Ahaziah, treachery, Ahaziah. Verse 24, now Jehu, he draws his bow full strength and he shot Joram between his arms and the arrow came out his heart and he sank down in his chariot. So, you know, even, even part of Mindy's painting, there's, there's arrows and there's all of that. Part of that is there was a lot of, of war. There was a lot of stuff happening in these chapters that, that God was fulfilling prophecy in. And this was one of them. Now, all of a sudden, now uh, Ahab's son now had died. And so this is the beginning of it. So let's go on to the next verse. Then Jehu said to Bidker, his, his captain, Pick him up, throw him into the track of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember when, I, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him? It said this, Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take him. Throw him in the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. Here's where we're at. Jehu's anointed. He goes to Jezreel. Now all of a sudden he takes care of the king of Israel. Now he turns his sights towards Ahaziah, who himself is trying to get out of there. Like, so he's, he's turning the chariot around. He's like, let's go. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagen. So Jehu pursued him. And he said, shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim. Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. So he wounded him. And um, here's what Wearsby suggests could have happened, that Ahaziah was wounded as he fled because 
As we go on to read, 2 Chronicles 22 also has parallel account of this, but actually adds a few more details. But it suggests that Ahaziah was wounded as he fled from Jezreel. He made it to Beth Hagen, and then he turned northwest at the ascent of Gur, headed for Megiddo, where he tried to hide from Jehu. But Jehu's boys tracked him down and killed him at Megiddo. And then um, they carried his body uh, to be buried um, because he was a descendant of David. He was buried in Jerusalem. So here's the principle in all this. And again, the whole thing of sowing and reaping. Had he not compromised with Joram and worshipped Baal and followed his mother Athaliah's counsel, he would have probably been spared all this shame and deceit. So, you know, it reminds me, you know, we use these bands that, and it's so true that here's an example that sin, sin always leads to death. Every time. Sin leads to death. And Jesus, you guys know this, he came to get us out of that cycle because if I'm sowing into that, I'm going to reap that. He's like, man, Jesus like, I want to give you a new way. I want to get you out of that. I want, the, I want to have you quit going around this circle of sin leading to death, like complete freedom. So, as unfortunately, Ahaziah suffered the same fate as um, the king of Israel. And so now, all right, so Jehu, he's killed both of these kings. Now he's on to the next one. And as uh, Larry said yesterday, at this point, Je- Jezebel is still alive. And you know that her fate was sealed. You know that this is coming. So now the scene turns to this, where Jehu, he knows that Jezebel is in Jezreel, which, by the way, Jezreel is kind of like a second home of, the, of this royalty. Samaria was their first home. So she was there. Jehu had, okay, now verse 30. Now, when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes, and adorned her head, and they looked and looked through a window. So some commentators were, were like, you know what? She was very defiant even till the end, even possibly trying to seduce Jehu. So she's just hanging out in the window. She watches Jehu ride up, and uh, this is what she says. As Jehu entered the gate, she said this, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? you got to know Zimri, if you don't know who that is, was a traitor who killed his master in order to seize his throne. We talked about this in First Kings chapter 16. He was a rebel who about 44 years earlier had assassinated his king, Elah, only to die seven days later at the hand of Jezebel's father-in-law, Omri. So I think she was taunting him. Like, I know what you're doing because surely by now she knew that the king of Israel and Judah were both killed. So she's try, probably trying her best um, to either seduce him or, or to stop him for what was going on. So pretty much Jehu rides in, has nothing to do with it, goes on in the next verse. He just kind of like looks up at the window and he said, all right, who's on my side? Who's with me? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. I just This is so fun to just see this whole thing play out. It's, it's kind of gruesome, but it's just like, almost just like we're, okay, here's the next scene. And so he said, throw her down. And so here we go. Here's the end of all of the evil. As a matter of fact, the most evil woman the world has known, according to Scripture. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses and trampled her, her underfoot. Next verse. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, go now, see to this accursed woman and bury her, for, for she was a king's daughter. It's almost as if Jehu got the job done. He kind of rode right over top of her, goes inside, and he just starts eating. 
And it's like, all right, well, I'm hungry. Let's just have a, let's have a feast here. And then, oh, you know what? Hang on a second. She was actually the king's daughter. Maybe we should, you know, try to at least show her a little bit of honor. So they go back out to find her, and it's like, oh, that's not good. And for when, when they went to bury her in chapter, uh, verse 35, they found no more of her than their skull, feet, and the palms of her hands. Ugh. All right. So <laughs> can you throw up 1 Kings twenty-one twenty-three? 1 Kings 21, 23, it actually, I just, you know, there's so much prophecy being fulfilled here in these, in these chapters. And um, Jezebel just ushered in so much evil into the land and says, of, King, of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. And that's exactly what happened. And um, it's, it's, it's crazy to see this, this play out. But in verse 37, just one more verse here. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel. So they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. In other words, shall it's her corpse as refuse. So there is no marker, uh, no mourning, no memorial. There is no, uh, no, no tombstone that says, here lies Queen Jezebel. Nothing. It's just uh, no sadness, anything. So I'll just tell you, there's, there's no good ending for evil. Not at all. Not, not even a hint. And, and that's why Jesus came to say, I am the way. There's not multiple ways. Every other way that man tries to go besides Christ always leads to a dead end. Every single time. It's the same trickery of the enemy all the time. Tries to get things to look so good that I'll follow a path that's even maybe similar to Jesus, but it's just not him. Always leads to a dead end. And we see that even played out here. All right, so here's what we had. Jehu in chapters 9, verses 1 through 13, anointed king. He goes and he takes care of Joram, Ahaziah, Jezebel. I'm going to just briefly just summarize chapter 10. But he does this complete job. He goes and he kills all of Ahab's 70 sons. 70 sons that were there. He just went in and through writing a letter, he wanted, them, he wanted their best one to come out. And they had the servants of the sons taken to, you know, another gruesome story. Just kind of took their heads off and put them up in a pile. It's like, if we're eating popcorn, and this is like turning into PG-13 or possibly rated R because of the gruesomeness of the story. But then he goes on later and he kills Ahaziah's 42 brothers. And then in verses 10, uh, 15 through 17, he goes and he kills the rest of Ahab's family. And then... He goes and he turns to um, this section of verses in chapter 10, verses 18 through 27. Wow, now he's going to the worshipers of Baal. Verse 18, he gathered all the people and he said to them, Ahab served Baal little, Jehu will serve him much. And he was actually just, he was setting this up. Jehu was not going to serve Baal, but he wanted to call, I'm just going to summarize this for time's sake. He gathered all the servants of Baal, all the priests, all the servants, all the head people in all the land, say, we're going to have a banquet. Bring them all. We want to store all the, all the prophets of Baal, all the worshipers. Don't leave out anybody. And by the way, when they're all there, make sure there's no servants of, of Jehovah. Make sure it's all Baal worshipers there. And, and so they were all coming and acting like, this Jehu is awesome. Like, man, he's serving Baal. We're going to really just amp this up. It was all deception. 
because Baal had it all planned out that he went in and, and just wiped out everybody. Him and he had a bunch of guys that were waiting. So they went in and they killed all the worshipers of Baal. So here's the thing. Wow, that's a lot. And this would have been actually a really cool story had Jehu been one who really had a heart to serve the Lord. But what it turns out is he actually was more mindful. He, he had a, here's, let me just turn to verse, verse 16. Let me just show you what I mean here. Verse 16 says this in chapter 10. He says, he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And so he made this guy Jehonadab ride in the chariot with him. And he was just bragging about how zealous he was for the Lord, killing all these people and whatnot. But he had every opportunity. Nelson says this, Nelson's commentary. He said, Jehu's destruction of Baal worship was a political act. His continuing the state of worship, the state worship policies established by Jeroboam clearly shows his disregard for true spiritual revival in Israel. So this is where I want to go at the end of this. It's possible that I can do even the works of the Lord and not have my heart completely surrendered to him. There's possible to have a seed there to say, you know what? I might want to give up this, but I certainly don't want to give that up. I want to tell you that will always make its way known and come to the surface. When Jesus said, come follow me, he didn't say, you know what? Just, just give me a little, and I'm fine with that. You know, as long as you're at least you're not, you're, at least you're not totally not giving me anything. You're giving me a little. Nowhere do you see that. When he's asking for followers, he said, "You know what? I need all of it. I need all of you, everything." And I, you know what? What I want to be careful of is even in these last days, even in these end times, it says there's going to be false teachers, false messages coming forth that almost play into. The things that man wants. Like, hey, here's this Jesus that can give you everything that you want. So all you got to do is kind of hang out in the atmosphere. There doesn't really have to be a complete you know, following of him. And if anybody wants to bring truth, it says biblically in, first, in 2 Timothy that there's going to come a time where they're not going to uh, you know, endure sound teaching. But for, they have, because according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers this is in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. And they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. And, and it says in 2 Peter, you know what? There's going to be many, many people that follow after them. So I just want to say this. Jesus came to set us free. Like, we know that. The only way we're going to truly find this freedom is we like, Lord, I, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. That's different than saying making him the Savior the Lord means that I am giving you everything. And then he becomes your savior. Like this is a thing I'm giving my life for you. It's not, Lord, how can I add you to my life and still hang on to some things? I just feel like I need to say that because I constantly remind myself, Jesus is looking for our complete heart because he wants us to walk in freedom. He wants us to be completely free. And so if, we're, if we understand sin has been, always been the thing that has separated man from a holy God. And, and Jesus said, I want to come and bridge that gap. I want to set you free from that so that we can walk in freedom. So as much as Jehu did to fulfill prophecy, and actually the Lord rewarded him with his next four sons sitting on the throne, but he did not get rid of the idols and it, it hurt his legacy. And I would say for us today, as we're watching this, 
we are on this earth for a blink of time, for just a blink of an eye, for just a short amount of time. Man, again, I encourage you, give it all. Give it all for the Lord. Just, just give Him everything. There's nothing on this earth, there's nothing of any kind of deception, any type, any type of sin that is worth hanging on to. Just walking in total freedom with the Lord is, is, is what it's all about. Let Him use you. Understand what that means and that freedom that comes with that and that peace that passes all understanding. So keep pressing into the Word, but don't just know it here. Learn the stories so that we can learn the lessons from it so it sinks down into my heart. Because when it's in my heart, I'll actually start to walk it out and I'll become like the one that we're studying about. So I want Christ to be so full in my heart that I actually look like Him, resemble Him, react the way He did and all that. So that's my prayer for all of you. Keep pressing in the Word. Thanks for being diligent through 2 Kings. And um, hey, we're going to come back again and do it tomorrow. Thank you, guys.